Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10. Are you familiar with the proverb of a virtuous woman? It's 22 verses of scripture attributed to an unnamed woman who is singing the praises of another unnamed woman. Who are these two women and can a virtuous woman really be found? Today, we are going to dig into this proverb to find out. Welcome to the third episode of the Unnamed Women of the Old Testament, a special bonus series from the Sunday on Monday podcast brought to you by LDS Living and Deseret Bookshelf Plus. The Sunday on Monday podcast is a come follow me podcast where we really dig into the scriptures together. Now, if you want to know more about info about this podcast, click in the link in our description or go to LDS Living slash Sunday on Monday and sign up for a free 30 day trial of Deseret Bookshelf Plus. Now, here's my absolute favorite thing about this podcast. Could not be happier. I get to have two guests join me every week, and it's usually different, and sometimes it's the same, and you know some of these voices, but today's super duper special because I have the two women who began this journey with me. These two women are the reason that I am here today in this seat, and I have Mandy Green. Hello, Shalom. Shalom. And Sharon Staples. Baharot Havaot. That means welcome or strawberry patch. I'm not sure. It's <laughs> one of I think we decided it meant. Strawberry Patch is very welcoming. So I think just. It's a win win. Baharot Havaot. Baharot Havaot. Nice job, Sharon. Strawberry Patch. Look at you preparing for this. Yes. Okay, so here's what we're going to do, ladies. Let's just tell the story about how we came to be and how this all got started. I know we've shared a little bit, but never the three of us together. And this journey began for Sharon and I seven years ago. So we're going to start with Sharon. Tell us why we're here, how this all happened, and why we ended up taking Hebrew. When I was six or seven years old, at that time, all the children had to take naps every day at school or at home because there was the polio epidemic. And so I thought of things that I wanted to do or be or whatever. And I decided at age six, I wanted to be a nun or a rabbi. Fast forward 70 years, and Tammy was teaching our gospel doctrine class, and every once in a while, she'd throw in a Hebrew word. And I thought, I don't remember rabbis, Hebrews, but, you know, so I, that came to mind. And I decided to take a conversion, Hebrew conversion class at the congregation Kolami with Rabbi Fred Winger, and I did. I didn't convert, but I did take the conversion <laughs> class. And then back to Tammy's class, and she was teaching the Hebrew stuff, and I thought, I need to take this language, but who in our ward, who in my friendship would even think of taking this language? Tammy Hall. <laughs> my Sunday school teacher. So that's how it came to be. And you came up to me in sacrament meeting and you punched me in the arm when it was over. And you walked up and you went like this. Hey, you want to take a Hebrew class? <laughs> and I looked around. I'm like, are you talking to me? Because I always wanted to be your friend. But I was in the thick of babies and new mom stuff. And we hadn't connected yet. And so I thought, well, why not? At least it's one night out of the week I'm getting out of the house. Right. So, <laughs> uh, sure, I'll take Hebrew for that. And uh, then we did. We start, so we started Hebrew at the Jewish Community Center here in Salt Lake when they taught us the alphabet. And then we took at Kolami, Kolami. which is in Sugar House, Utah, mm-hmm. alphabet again. But we just couldn't seem to find a class, like a structured, here's what we're going to You're going to learn Hebrew. And it was the Chabad Luvavich. Yeah. Like it was super hard to find an actual class to take. Right. And the only one we knew about was at BYU, but it was a labor intensive summer course. We had to commit to six weeks, eight hours a day. And I was like, I can't leave my family. I mean, I want to. No, I'm just kidding. I love you all. Um, no, I, we, we couldn't do that. And so, and it was expensive. 
It was, it, it was yeah. Pricey. Yeah, pricey. So we prayed. We really did pray. Like, Heavenly Father, we want to learn Hebrew. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? How are Q we going to do it? Mandy. Now, this is a crazy story. Mandy, how did you come into the picture? So I had a midlife crisis about 2014. And, well, when my youngest, this beautiful girl right here in the purple, uh, when she entered second grade, I felt the need to say a kneeling prayer, which I really don't do that often. And I just knelt down and I said, I have time and whatever ability, plug me in. And my dear friend Kathy Mallory kept saying, you need to come take an Old Testament class with me. And I was like, yuck, ooh, I have no desire to study the Old Testament. And she persisted for almost a year. And so I finally went, and it was Rebecca Stay teaching a BYU continuing education class. And within minutes, my soul just lit up. And I felt spiritually alive for the first time in probably many, many years. Because I had be kind of started thinking, is this all there is? Right. If I check all the boxes, this isn't filling my soul. I spent the money and I deserted my family for the summer and took the BYU um, intensive course all summer with Carly Anderson and Jerry Clemens. And then in the fall, I continued to study with Stephen Ricks. And then in 2014, at the height of my midlife crisis, I thought, I can't take it out on my family or my husband, but I took it out on my hair. I had like glow in the dark hair. It was one of the greatest moments of my life. And then um, I had this crazy idea to go study at Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And if you look up the missiles shot at Israel in July of 2014, you will get an understanding of what the climate like was like when I was there studying. And um, it was harrowing to say the least. But out of that, this phoenix just came alive. And weeks after that, I'm at breakfast at Penny Ann's Cafe in Draper with Tammy Hall, who's sitting next to me. And our dear friend Sandy uh, Bacon was like, oh, Tammy, you and Mandy should meet. She just got back from Israel. And Tammy grabbed me. <laughs> well, Something H- about grabbing arms H- is a common said, thread yeah. here. And HB said, oh, you've been wanting to take Hebrew. You should know Sandy. And I looked at you and I did. I grabbed your arm and I was like, Will you teach me Hebrew? And you kind of, you laugh like that. And you exactly. Go, <laughs> I was like, uh, no, no, I don't teach Hebrew. No, really, please, please teach me Hebrew. And I think I begged you long enough. You're like, all right, fine. We'll try once. Right. These are my first two premier students. I mean, like, first what a two. great. She's ever tried yeah. it. Yes. She agreed. And she met at Sharon's house was our first class. And five years. We studied together for five years. And right when I met Tammy, after the first lesson, she said, I need you to help me write a book. And I was like, again, that's going to be a hard no. But, <laughs> and I, I'll help in this way. And it was funny because I'm like, I've been studying the proverb of a virtuous woman. And I just think there's more to it than there is. And I think Hebrew is the key to all of this. So you help me. And you're like, I'll teach you Hebrew. Yeah. And so five years. And then you hooked us up with Carly Anderson. So shout out to Dr. Carly Anderson. She has a PhD in Hebrew. And amazing. That, that, oh, she's so smart. And now we take advanced Hebrew with her. Intermediate. Again, Oh, yeah. Intermediate. Intermediate. She We're even told us trying. she'll spend your whole life learning Hebrew. Yes. So that made me feel a lot better when she's like, I still have to look up words in the dictionary. Yeah. I'm like, oh, phew. Yeah. I probably should know more than I do, but whatever. 
Here we You're are. You're doing awesome. Okay. So that is how we began our journey of this awesome book. So let's dive into Proverbs chapter 31, verses 1 through 31. And we're just going to start specifically with who wrote this proverb. I think it's amazing what Mandy found about her. Well, there's a, there's a few amazing things. Uh, we don't know exactly who this woman is. We know that she's the mother of Lemuel. Lemuel, anytime you see L in a name, that means something of God. So you just got smarter than like 99% of the population, right? Yeah, put that in your phone. L, Daniel, Daniel, Daniel right? Yeah, All of those. Ending in L means Ezekiel. God. Lemuel is one of four to seven titles of Solomon. And Solomon is known for what? Wisdom. He sought wisdom. There's a lot of ways to look at this. You could say, is this Bathsheba, which means daughter of the covenant, by the way. Mm -hmm. So that makes you hopefully rethink some of your conclusions about Bathsheba. Well, in verse one, when it says the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy his mother taught him. I mean, the word prophecy, here's a woman receiving prophecy. Yes. And then she's, she's a prophetess. It. Like that's pretty profound. Yes. And the word for prophet is Navi to gush forth like a spring that bubbles up over. So we're talking about someone who's a prophetess speaking to a son. I mean, aren't you already like, who is this woman? <laughs> this is what Tuesday mornings looked like for us. How fun <laughs> is this? Yeah. Here's a cool thing about this proverb. One of the things I love when I learned that it's actually a poem and it is written in acrostic format. And I love to teach that because we all did those poems as kids in elementary school where you write your name down the side of the paper. So if I did Tammy, I would do T, totally awesome, A, awesome again, M, you know, whatever, marvelous. But you would spell (laughs) Mary. Um, That's the acrostic poem. And the proverb of a virtuous woman It's acrostic, but it doesn't spell anything. It's all 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, beginning with the first and ending with the last. And one of the reasons some scholars believe it was written that way so that it would be easier for men to memorize because it is every Sunday or every Shabbat, which is a Friday night for the Jews, a husband sings this to his wife. It's called Eshet Chayil, and he will sing it to his wife verse by verse. And so there's, it's easy for memorization. But when I learned that, the Eshet Chayil, that he had sung, many scholars believe this proverb is a hymn. They also believe that it is um, a beautiful poem or it is an allegory. And so I took the allegorical approach. But the song approach I felt so sad because I thought those poor Jewish women, every Friday night, they're like, great, here we go again. Now you can remind me I'm not sewing, I'm not cooking, I'm not cleaning. What else am I not doing? You know, because it's just this laundry list of all these things to do when you say I do. That's that's how it feels. Well, you guys, you know, you can start memorizing right now, right? There you go. Exactly. So this is a really cool thing. And one of the things that I like about it is how it starts in verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? for her price is far above rubies. Now, what is so unique is that in Hebrew, it does not start with the word who. It starts with the letter A, which spells Aish, which is woman. So tell us a little bit about that. So in Hebrew sentence structure, it's not like an English subject verb predicate or whatever it is. Correct me, HB. Holly knows, HB. She's our English (laughs) prepositional phrase. Um, The thing that's of most import is at the beginning of the sentence. And so... What's the most important part of the sentence? Isha, or Eshet, sorry, Eshet, Eshet, the woman. But it's a construct, so it's Eshet Chayil, a woman of valor. So the most important thing is this woman of valor. That's 
boom right off the top. Do you want me to talk about high? That's not normal because in Hebrew, it should be the verb first. Yes. That's what was so interesting about this. The verb always comes first. And then, so it would have said, found who is a virtuous woman. Absolutely. And it doesn't. So that's pretty Most Hebrew sentences will start with the verb because Hebrew is very active. Don't think of it in like a Western Greek tradition. Think of action. Always action. So if you say love, you're not saying love like a sentiment like we do. Love is like, I'm working for you. I, I got you muffins this morning. So it's action. So it's a woman of valor. Think of someone in action, a woman in action. Well, and I would say becoming, not doing, not the laundry list garbage, becoming like a flower that rises out of the mud, a lotus and becomes. Well, and so Sharon, tell us some cool things about this idea, how Hebrew is different than English, because you have some cool things that you like about that. About Hebrewisms? Yeah. The Hebrewisms. Now, a Hebrewism is a fancy word for a linguistic element borrowed from Hebrew by another language meaning that we take what's in Hebrew and we put it into English. And some of the ones that I found that I thought were interesting is when we talk about the Book of Mormon, we talk about the brass plates. In Hebrew, it's the plates of brass. That's a Hebraism. Then another one is with Lehi. We say, I dreamt last night about this. In Hebrew, it's I dreamed a dream. So those are kinds of Hebrewism. And then a common one that doesn't have to do with Hebrew, but it's the same principle and policy of, of borrowing one particular set of words for another is in one of our hymns, Where Can I Turn for Peace? One of the lines is, he's reaching my reaching. And that's something we, you know, we said, well, he reached for me. That's something that in English we might say. But in Hebrew, they use these ways of speaking. And I remember when we learned that, that was shocking to us because we would have said, oh, the brass plates right. or Laban's house. Right. But the house of Laban. Laban. Well, and how is Joseph Smith going to know to say tree of life, house of Laban, tent of my father? He would never start, have spoken that way. Just start adding them up in the first couple chapters, chapters of first. Yeah. He's not going to know that. It's very noticeable. And if you go home and, and, and look at your Book of Mormon and look at some of those sayings, you'll say, my gosh, how did Joseph Smith know that? I don't think he even knew the word Hebraism. Well, there's a great book for anyone's interested in all the Hebraisms in the Book of Mormon. Don Perry wrote a book called Preserved in Translation, and it is so good. I think this is so great. As I was studying this proverb and we were talking about it all those years, I couldn't find anything written about the proverb. There is not a single commentary on it. No professor, no scholar, anyone has ever written about it. And so that's when I was like, we've got to figure what this is. The only person I ever found that wrote anything was Lowell Benyon. Mm-hmm. He's a brilliant scholar, and he is credited with starting the Institutes of Religion. And here's what he had to say specifically about this proverb. It seems likely to me that this passage could have been written by a man who wanted to be well provided for by a hardworking wife, but who perhaps was less willing to expend the same effort himself. <laughs> it also seems to me that this ancient ideal lacks any sense that women also need intellectual, social, and spiritual fulfillment. I'm not sure, looking at the average congregation of Latter-day Saint mothers, that they need to be told to stay up later, get up earlier, or work harder than they are already doing. I mean, can I get an amen? Yeah, amen, yeah. That is so good. No woman needs to be told to be doing more than she already is. No. And so when you read this proverb, it's so overwhelming that you think there's no way I could do that. 
or would want to do that for that matter. <laughs> so here's what I want to know from both of you. Before we began studying this proverb, what were your thoughts about the proverb? I think it's in verse 13, a woman of flax, and she sewed, and she did whatever. I bought a sewing machine. I mean, that's what you, I bought a sewing machine. And in verse 13, it talks about she has meat for her household and her servants. So I started canning, started bottling, putting up stuff. I mean, pickles and jams and jellies and everything. In case Mr. Wright happened to step in, <laughs> I wanted to be prepared. I wanted to say, oh, yes, I put those up. Oh, yes, I did this. Oh, yes, I have a sewing machine. Yes, These I did are that. My preserves. Yes, I did that. I did that quilt. And then there's one where, you, where she says, and she plants a vineyard. I have a vineyard. We have a vineyard at our house. We have She's grapes. She's got it all. And it says, strengthen your arms. I'm in an exercise class. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm re, and this is true. I'm not making this stuff up. I'm in an exercise, clearing my arms. And then there's another one. I think it's verse 18. It talks about her candle doesn't go out. We have a two-year supply of candles. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying, you know. I'm basically trying until Tammy wrote this wonderful book, which I think is excellent. My sewing machine is still in the box. <laughs> And you don't have to sew. Let's keep it there, gosh dang it. That's right. Because what she has done has, well, it's life-changing. It really is. To have this interpretation of these verses, it's life-changing for women, and I hope men pay attention. (laughs) Well, it's cool because it's about Jesus. And who doesn't need Jesus or love him? That's what I like about it. What did you think? I think I got kicked out of seminary in the Old Testament year. I, I don't remember reading it, but I definitely have a feminist side. And when I read it, I was like, and that shows the Bible is not translated correctly, right? <laughs> like, uh, and it actually isn't translated correctly because uh, you can see the dangers of a literal interpretation. I think I'm going to laugh all night about your candles. <laughs> I didn't know that about you, that you had a two-year oh, supply I do. of two-year supply of candles. That did not come out earlier in our relationship. That's my fantastic. not going to go out. Oh, you're, yeah, they're not yeah, going to go out. My life's um, not going to go out. <laughs> the dangers of reading the scriptures literally right yeah. there. There's a perfect example. Sharon, we love you. Um, but yeah, it just looks like this laundry list of like 1950s domesticity Where's my Rick Rock apron and how can I serve you, sweetheart? There's <laughs> my husband right there. He's really extraordinary. And he's kind of like, same with my husband, like, I don't see a problem with it. I think it's a great proverb. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. Which I always joke because that's probably why no man's ever decided to do something with it. Because he's like, looks good. <laughs> why did we fix yeah, it? Where's the, what's the issue here? I don't yeah, understand yeah, why no this is a problem. No problem for me. Well, I remember after I got married, I really, truly did go back and read it because as a seminary teacher, whenever I taught it, the second verse is the heart of her husband does safely trust in her. And I would always tell my students, now someday I'll be virtuous, but not until I'm married. Same with all you girls in the room. But until then, get two years supply candles, (laughs) whatever that looked like. And so then I got married and I can remember that my two older girls went to school I had just given birth to Lily and she went down for a nap and I thought, okay, I'm going to read this proverb now. I'm going to dig into this and see how I can be virtuous. And when I read the husband part, I stopped there because I knew it was coming and I already felt overwhelmed as a new mom with a new baby. And I just thought, I don't know if I can sew. Like, I don't know if I can add that to my plate right now. And so I read the husband part and I remember sitting in my bedroom with my back against the wall on the carpet with pillows all around me because I was just going to study in that corner. And I said, 
I said a little prayer. I'm like, Heavenly Father, really, is the husband a husband? Or is there something I'm missing? And then I just sat there. And I kept my eyes closed. And I didn't know what I was expecting, but not what I got. And just out of nowhere, the thought came, the husband is Christ. And it was just, all of a sudden, I started sobbing because I thought, how did I miss that? Like, I've, I've been teaching that. He is he is Christ in the Old Testament. And so I've asked Sharon to teach us about that because the minute I realized that, that was the trajectory for me. That was when it changed. And I went, wait a minute. This is about Jesus Christ. It it's is. not about a wedding ring. And there are so many references to him as the husband. Tell us about that, I'm Sharon. I'm going to tell you about that. Isaiah 54 and 5 reads, He is the husband as the Lord of hosts. So the husband is the Lord of hosts, who is the Savior. Jeremiah 3 and 14, I am married unto you. And this is Jehovah talking to Israel and to Judah, referring to the Abrahamic covenant. And that runs through everything in the Old Testament. Abrahamic covenant is connected almost to every chapter. Jeremiah 31 and 32, I was an husband unto them, speaking of the Israelites. And then Hosea 2 and 29, I will betroth thee unto me. He's speaking again of Israel, of the covenant people. Looking at all of those reminded me of a verse that I just love that's in the Book of Mormon, Mosiah 5 and 15. The Savior's talking. He says, Therefore, I would that you should be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in good works, that Christ the Lord God omnipotent may seal you his. And if he is the husband... And we are sealed to him. Doesn't get any better than that. Wow, Sharon, thank you. You're welcome. I think one of the things that is so cool about this is the reason why the Old Testament uses this imagery of being married to Jesus is because it was something the Israelites could understand. They understood how important marriage was and fidelity was. And so that is the connection here is having complete fidelity to Jesus Christ and nobody else. And that's what he's asking of us is believe in me, believe in Jesus. He will carry us. He will help us as a husband should to his wife. And so the Israelites are like, oh, we understand that metaphor. And I think it's beautiful. And it's through the covenant and through our belief in him that we are blessed. So very cool. Okay, then we have to go to the very beginning, the word virtuous. So this is another word we have to understand for the proverb. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. Mandy, teach us about virtue because... Well, I got to backtrack a little on the candles. I I know I get fixated, but... um, (laughs) I'll give you some. I can can give you some. No, but it says her candle doesn't go out by night. Did you know that that... That's a practice of a Jewish woman for her betrothed is that once she's legally lawfully engaged to that person by covenant, she's supposed to keep a candle lit in her window until he comes to get her for the wedding. So I have a two-year supply. I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting. He's coming, Sharon. He'll I'm be waiting. here in two I'm years. Waiting. Well, that's why the, the Jewish woman lights a candle every Shabbat. It's her responsibility. She lights two candles, puts her hands around the light, and brings it into her eyes three times every single Sabbath as a way of bringing Jesus Christ into her and her family's home. Yeah, so he is the husband. So hopefully that reframes how you look at temple ordinances even as you look at beautiful things that are part of our most sacred ritual in regards to him. All right, so this term... Virtuous. It's Eshet Chayil. Chayil, sorry, you have to say it with the guttural. Get some fun in there. Chayil is, uh, it's translated as virtue, but it's actually the word for strength. 
It has nothing to do with modesty, with clothing. It's a woman of strength, courage, valor, power. And what's so interesting is that in verse 3 of the proverb, where it says Lemuel's mom gave this to him, it says right there, do not give to women your strength, Chayil. So it gets translated strength for the guy, and then who can find, let's just say virtuous woman. So a woman of strength, of power, of capacity, of tenacity, of grit. It actually means like a soldier. Yahweh Sabaot is the Lord of hosts. It's an army. How many of you are Lord of the Rings fans? Like me, 100%, (laughs) right? When Arwen's there at the river and she draws her sword and she's like, come and claim him. Like that's a woman of valor. And I will trust in who is, whose strength I'm fighting with. And hopefully that alone tells you what an eshet hayil is, a, a virtuous woman. That's what we're talking about. And we're talking about who she becomes, not necessarily what she does, but how the doing is the becoming. Okay, Mandy, and I think what, what I found another a definition of that was a woman or a wife of noble character. Mm-hmm. I mean, Beautiful. It, you know, noble character. It, it just sounds good to me. Yeah. You know? Well, warriors, right? Like in the Old Testament, there's no discrimination between a male warrior and a female warrior. Like the army of the Lord has warriors of both sexes. So ladies, don't write yourself out thinking, I don't have a good Xena the warrior princess outfit. <laughs> You're good. You're good. So when she's got a machine up for grabs, so. <laughs> and we have candles probably for everybody. <laughs> totally, totally. So this is really cool as we've been talking about this, and I hope you've all just really gathered or gleaned from this that it is about our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so then, as we go into the proverb and as we study verse by verse, when we finally understand what it really means, I asked these two women to share with us which verse spoke to you. And why? And if you had an experience or a story with that verse, now that we know what it means. Okay. As we studied this it together. Is, this is um, a hard one for, not hard. It's an emotional experience for me. I can find it here in your wonderful book that I just love. There are verses 11 and 12 for me. And verse 11 is, the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. And the 12 is, she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. When I take the sacrament on Sundays and I take his name upon me, he can trust me. And he does trust me. He trusts me to carry his name. And he knows I will do him no evil because he is my Savior and I love him. And I'm so grateful. So those two mean everything to me, especially on Sunday mornings when I renew that covenant that you can trust me. Don't worry. I will do you no evil. Don't worry. The rest of the book is okay too, but those two are <laughs> those two are the best. Thank you, Sharon. And as a single woman, to know you don't need to be married other than to the Savior. Well eventually I would like that to happen, you know, I mean sure. it, you know, but yeah, I, I, and I and he's he is going to seal me his yeah. if I'm steadfast. And that's true for any woman, a young woman of 14 or 8 when she's baptized or an, a more mature woman, I almost said older, a more mature woman. I mean, it's, it's the same. Yeah. It's a promise that I will always keep. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That was beautiful. I love that. 
What about you, Mandy? Uh, Sharon, you're the best. <laughs> Since so much of our church population is single, I just, Tammy was on my podcast and we were talking about this very thing about the husband. Oh, and, say the name of your podcast. Uh, Reflecting Light. I have cute little light bulb stickers if you want one. But um, <laughs> no, uh, one of my listeners, Stacey Turner, who I really, really love, I want to read you a poem she sent me on my phone regard to this husband idea. Today's podcast, Virtuous Woman, such beautiful healing truth for this single woman in this seemingly never-ending nanosecond on my long-planned journey, my soul-deep, ugly cry transforms into an earth-yell victory cry. (laughs) That's your husband. All right. Well, the verse I'd like to talk about is verse 18. It's a, you can be translated a couple of different ways, but it says, she tastes or senses that her merchandise or gain is good, and her candle does not, is not extinguished by the night. For me, my pet project is Mary Magdalene. She is my person. She is the closest I can come to finding an example of what divine womanhood looks like and behaves like. And so I lead tours to Israel, and you get there, and you're very jet-lagged, and I always want to stay inside the old city because it's kind of like my boyfriend. I don't know. I just have these feelings of love. So I'm staying in the old city. You wake up early. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre uh, opens up at 5.30. They have the same Muslim family that passes the key down from father to son. So if you get there right at 7.30, they open the doors. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, how many of you have been to Israel? How many of you gone to that edifice? It's crazy. Did you go on the day? Yeah, you're thinking, what's holy about this place? <laughs> go in the morning. That building is a receptacle for what's brought into it. And so at this morning, I crept out of bed. I walked those same streets and I went down into the church which is so quiet and peaceful and on the left hand side now this is a cathedral built by Templar Knights the right side's masculine the left side's feminine so I crept to the left side where the church of Mary Magdalene is and I read from the song of songs which I believe is her song chapter three of where is my beloved And it talks about her walking the streets of Jerusalem and getting roughed up and searching for her beloved. Now, if you read the account about her in John, it says that she was at the tomb while it was yet dark. John never just throws stuff out there. That's significant. And here is a woman whose candle does not go out by night. She is not intimidated by the dark. She's not intimidated by the people on the streets. This is not a great time to be associated with the Savior. And there she is. And she shows me what a courageous warrior of Jesus Christ looks and acts like. Let this world bring its best. But there she is, wandering the streets, looking for her beloved, And there she is at the tomb. And you know what the, how that was rewarded. She was the first witness of a resurrected Christ. And so 
she exemplifies this whole proverb, but that particular line, her lamp, the Hebrew there is not extinguished or quenched. It can't be wiped out. It can't be taken out by any event. Her light stays lit. And it has to go with that same keeping our lamps lit. And I'm so grateful for her example and her valor. She is the epitome of an Eshet Chayil. Thank you, both of you ladies. And what about your favorites? I'll, I mean, you've I'll done the finish. whole thing. This is mine. I really liked verse 13 or 14. She's like a merchant ship. She bringeth her food from afar because Hebrews regarded ships and the ocean with great terror. They did not want to get on one. They were not a seafaring people. And so for a woman who was Hebrew, she would read this and be like, I'm out. Like, I'm not a merchant ship. I'm not going anywhere. And then it says, she bringeth her food from afar. And when you really look into this, the word food is lachem, which is bread. And you know who the bread is. The bread is Jesus Christ. And so then it says, she's like a merchant ship. So she's like him. It's a dangerous journey. It's going to be hard. It's going to be scary at times. And she's going to bring her testimony of Jesus Christ from as far as it's going to take her to get there. And one of the stories that stands out to me the most, and it's not in the book, so you get a freebie. I got transferred to East High School to teach seminary in 2003. And that fall, registered in my seminary class was Elizabeth Smart. She had just been found previously that spring. And I can remember I was so nervous about her being in my class because I thought, what in the world could I possibly teach Elizabeth Smart? And so it was Old Testament year, and I just taught normal. I didn't ever ask her questions. Never did she talk in seminary. And then came New Testament year the next year, and she asked if she could have me again. And so we had been teaching New Testament, and we got to Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. And I read that scripture out loud to my kids that says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And after I read that verse, I said to my class, now, is there anyone in this room that can testify that that verse of scripture is true? I told my own personal story that I knew that Jesus Christ could help me through anything. And as a seminary teacher, they teach you to not be afraid of the pause, which means after you ask the question, you're supposed to wait. For someone to raise their hand. And then if no one does, you, you want to abandon ship and you're like, hey, never mind. All right. And then you want to do a song and dance. Just kidding, kids. So in seminary, they teach you, don't be afraid of the pause, wait through the pause. So I asked the question and nobody answered. And I was about to be like, all right, let's get on. And I, I didn't, I waited a little bit more. And right before I, I decided to move on, this sweet little girl, Elizabeth raised her hand and I have permission to share this story. FYI. And I'll never forget this. Then she said, for nine months, and then she stopped and she said, no, for 288 days, I prayed every day that Christ would strengthen me. Like she counted her days. And she said, I prayed that Christ would strengthen me. And he did. He did. And I am proof of that. I know that Christ can strengthen me through all things. And I thought about her when I read this verse because I thought, now here we have this sweet, virtuous little girl. This young girl at 14 had strength, had the power to carry on in that horribleness of 288 days. And then I thought about my own life and my people that I love in my own life too. I mean, how many of us are in the thick of that 288 days? How many of us are starting out that 288-day phase? And there are many of us in here that can testify at the end of our 288 days that Christ really can strengthen us. And so I love this verse, like, I am not afraid. I will be like a merchant ship. 
and I will do whatever it takes to get my lachem, to get my bread, and I will bring it from afar. And then I love how in the next verse that she then gives it to her household. And a household is anyone that falls under your umbrella of influence. It doesn't mean children. It means kids, but it means neighbors and friends and people in your callings and everyone you have associated with. You will teach them these verses. And so I think Elizabeth has done a beautiful job of that. She obtained her lahem. And so that's the verse that really stood out to me. And I I think of that every day and everything we're going through. So we're going to see it through to the voyage ends. That's what it's about. So. Well, Tammy, I have to I have to compliment you for taking this bread and so beautifully feeding the 5,000, 10,000, 100,000 people that you feed it to. Thank you, Tammy. Well, thank you both for being my thank partners you. in Hebrew. Holy cow. So thank you for joining us for this episode. That's how it works. <laughs> That's wow. It. That's it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Unnamed Women of the Old Testament. The Sunday on Monday study group is a Deseret Bookshelf Plus original brought to you by LDS Living. It's written and hosted by me, Tammy Uzalak-Hall, and today our incredible study group participants were Sharon Staples and Mandy Green. And you can find more information about these ladies at ldsliving.com slash Sunday on Monday. Our podcast is produced by Katie Lambert and me. It is recorded and mixed by Mix at Six Studios. (laughs) And our executive producer is Aaron Hallstrom. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week. And please remember, you really are God's favorite. Thank you.